It's time for episode 99 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 12, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that has 99 episodes, and this is one. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across the internet from me is my co-host, Jason Snell. Welcome back. I'm back. Podcast is still here. You didn't uh, break it last week, so thank you. I tried my damnedest, uh, let me tell you. Yeah, that's what I hear. Uh, we are joined, as we always are, by two fantastic guests. To my left, returning to the Clockwise table, it's Mr. Lex Friedman. Hi, Lex. Hi, Dan and Jason. Thanks for having me back again. And to my left, uh, in her second visit, I want to say, mm-hmm. is Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks for Thank coming you. back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're going to discuss four tech topics here today. And as I am your designated co-host, three weeks running, I'm going to start the show yet again. Uh-huh. Uh, so the big news this week, I was on vacation uh, when this broke, but I still uh, I caught it as I was flipping through Twitter, was Alphabet which is the not-at-all-creepy name of the new holding company that is the parent company of Google, or will be after some really complicated legal and financial shenanigans. Um, so I guess I just wanted to get your guys' opinions on what, why. Why have they done this? What is there to gain? Is this a smart decision, or is this just sort of a bizarre, like, we're going to all forget about it in a week or two? Mr. Friedman, what do you think? I feel like I'm barely smart enough to answer this question because I don't even understand the corporate goings on. The alphabet? Did did you never learn to read, Lex? 26 letters. My gut here is that it's actually a fairly smart thing for Google to do because now it's harder to say, well, this self-driving car stuff is a distraction or this (laughs) mapping Mars is a distraction or whatever the hell crazy things Google wants to do with cameras and air conditioners and everything else. It's not a distraction if they're saying, we're just this giant conglomerate that does lots of smart things, sharing all the genius that we've created through technology. So my gut is that it's going to be largely invisible to uh, consumers like you and me, Dan, but that is probably the, the right thing to do for the company to organize and not seem as insane as it currently is. I think this is a great idea. Um, there's been great confusion. For a while, I've been talking about how there are two Googles. There's the, uh, you can hear me talk a lot more about this on this week's upgrade, by the way. Um, plug. Um, there are two Googles. There's the like Google that just is this machine that makes money that uh, based on ads, which is uh, which is great for Larry and Sergey because they get to spend that money on crazy ideas of things that they think might change the future, and they invest in these things that that they think you know we could revolutionize cars by building self-driving cars, or we can create drones, uh, whatever it is. And by setting up Alphabet, I think that they've done. Um, They've added clarity to the situation. First off, they give Sundar Pichai a a, a promotion and they say, look, you are in charge of Google and Google is defined as search engine and Android and YouTube. It's like this stuff. Um, You also have to take Google Plus. Sorry. Uh, And then so you give that to him and then you take all the other stuff and you say, that's not Google. That's other stuff that, that Larry and Sergey and everybody who founded Google wants to invest in. Um for the future maybe also it gives people like um like a 
Tony Fidel at Nest some distance from Google, which I think is a good thing because I think people were very confused about like, what is Nest? Is it part of Google? Is it going to get swallowed by Google? And now the answer is no. Nest is Nest. It's going to do its own thing. It's, you know, it's owned by those guys, but it's not Google. It's Nest. And I think that's really clear. Um, so I think, I think for clarity's sake and for people not mixing up sort of like Google as we know it as a product with Google, this giant company that, that uh, is run by Larry and Sergey, um, I think that's what Alphabet gets us. So my initial reaction, I think, was the Internet's initial reaction, which was, what? Um, and <laughs> I, I still kind of feel that way. I haven't um, I haven't really thought about the implications yet. Um, I haven't had time, but I, I kind of agree with all of you that it kind of helps Google be that thing that, that we all think it's supposed to be. Um, and it's, you know, silo, however much it's actually siloed. And it allows you know, them to continue on doing the other things that they want to do. It's just, you know, it's been Google for so long. There's a little bit of dissonance there when I think about it. But yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to add. I think it's an odd decision because of the high recognition that Google's brand has. I, I think it's true that spinning off some of those other ventures that it was never quite clear, things like Nest or like their other little sort of more uh, blue sky projects, if you will, uh, putting those under the Google Aegis has always been a little weird because it's, it is so separate in some ways from the stuff they're doing. Um, but, uh, Alphabet seems like a strange idea to have a holding company over Google. Um, I, I just think as a as an organizational tactic, it seems odd. In some ways, it would be better if they spun something off as a subsidiary of Google. I seem, feel like that would almost make more sense. But I, I guess I get what they're trying to do here. And it also feels like a strange, you know, they're trying to maintain control by because I believe Larry Page is the CEO of Alphabet. Um, so they still have sort of some sort of ultimate control over the whole whole organization, even though Sundar Pinchai is the CEO of Google. Um, so I, I don't know that this is a great idea, and I wonder if this will end up being one of those ventures that, like, in a, in a year or two, they're like, nah, never mind, we're just back to being Google again. Uh, it's too complicated, you know, like, we've, we're, we're just Google. It's one simple brand name. So thank you all for your input. And I will turn it over to Lex Friedman for his engrossing topic. There's a lot of conversation in our tech Apple nerd circle recently about ad blocking. iOS 9 has content blocking built in and... Um Lots and lots of people are turning to Ghostery and other services to, to block ads. Marco Arment just published a post saying, we uh, we blocked pop-ups, so now we can just block other internet ads too. Um, I'm curious, are you blocking ads? Do you How do you feel about this ad blocking situation? I am not blocking ads. I ha- am trying out Ghostery, but I'm doing it mostly to suppress like some weird trackers and stuff, but not the but not the big ads. You know, the ads get worse and worse because the the rates get lower and lower and the companies are more desperate to fill in more revenue and grow their revenue or replace old revenue that's going away. And so they keep adding more junk to the pages. And eventually it, it becomes untenable. You, you, the pages are no good. And so that, I feel like that's where the web is going. There's going to be a crack up. And at some point um, it will resolve itself. My fear is that there's too much media out there and that in the end, we're not. We're going to see a lot of people and a lot of brands just kind of exiting the media and exiting journalism because the web created this land rush and everybody rushed in. And now we realize, oh, there's not enough money for all of these people to make it. But in the end, I am 
optimistic in the sense that marketers want to reach people. They have money to do it. They're going to find ways to reach people. And um, it it looks like where this is headed is they're going to have to find better ways than crappy web advertising. And I think that's good. I think that uh, I think in the end that money will uh, fund certain products that people will enjoy. Uh, but we may have to get through this this thing that comes really comes from the fact that web the web when it was built was uh, meant, built to give away content, and uh, that was a really weird business model that worked in the early days. But now we're paying the price. I don't run ad blockers. Every once in a while, I think about it, um, especially when a video starts playing and I can't find the tab <laughs> and I. Um, but I don't because for the reasons that, that Jason iterated, like this is how I can support the people whose content I am consuming. Um, I don't even skip podcast ads. Nobody would know oh, if I, I skip podcast. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody would know if I wanted to use a coupon code. I know who the sponsors are. I know where to go to the show notes and find the coupon code or whatever. But I want to support... Um, the people who are making things for me. And I see people pirate the app I work on all the time. And it's just like support content creators. Because if you don't, as Jason said, they're going to go away. Um, having said that, like, it's super annoying to go to a website and sit Mashable. I go to Mashable on my phone, and I start like it loads. I start scrolling through the content. It scrolls to the top again. I start scrolling through the content. It goes to the top again. And I don't go to Mashable anymore, you know? So for me, it's kind of a filtering thing too, where it's like, if you're going to annoy me, I'm just not going to support you. Um, But I completely understand why people don't even want to see it. I think there is, as we've been discussing, there are there are lines, right? There are thresholds. Uh, and as Marco pointed out in his piece, blocking pop-up ads came about because they just, they crossed that line, right? They were too annoying. They caused too many problems. And they still exist in some places. Like there are still some trickery you can use to get around that. But most common sites have kind of like, there's like a tacit agreement, like we don't do pop-ups, right? Like that's not something that we're going to do. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's sort of the question is, is there a new line to be drawn in the sand in terms of the, not just the invasiveness, but the sort of overhead that we get to from these or the or the experience this, that becomes so annoying that, as Aline said, drives you away from a site because it just makes that site harder to use. Uh, and I think that for years, the the advertisers have really sort of, to a certain extent, had the the power there when it comes to saying like, hey, you want to get paid? This is what we're doing. This is the, the, you know, the best sort of returns we can give you are these things that are potentially more annoying or more intrusive. Uh, and so the question is, if consumers do have a backlash and decide we're not going to really put up with that anymore, we're going to adopt blocking software, will the advertisers be forced to finally come up with a, a different manner of doing this that's perhaps less intrusive? Uh, and, and it's a different model depending where you are. Podcast ads were mentioned, of course, as being something very different. I think, you know, Jason, as Jason and John Gruber do on their sites, um, having sponsorships rather than ads might work for smaller sites, and they're definitely less intrusive and generally more useful, I think, to the, to the person. Because I, I really honestly don't know that many people who go through and click on ads in some of those major websites. Um, so I think that, you know, while I don't support blocking ads because I would like to see the, those, you know, publications, especially that rely on ads to continue to survive, I think we are all starting to hit a tipping point where less annoying, less intrusive ads are, are going to start being something that cons- um, forces us or, or makes us think about going to a competing site instead. I, I do not run an ad blocker. I have Ghostry to block um, 
the uh, analytics platforms I've never heard of. So like Google Analytics and Quantcast and, and uh, Mint, they can run, but ones I haven't heard of can't run. But I don't block ads. Um, I'm obviously biased, so I'll just disclose that right away. I sell ads for a living for podcasts. Um, but I don't block ads. Uh, there's a couple things that I think are realities that are undeniable. One is that advertising works. No, it, every single person listening is like, well, don't work on me. But the thing is, I've only ever sold podcast ads. I haven't sold anything else, any other advertiser or anything else. But I, I sleep at night and I'm good at my job because the ads work for advertisers on podcasts. Uh, the folks who are putting money into display ads and all other kinds of web ads are doing it because they're seeing some kind of return on their investment. Very few advertisers keep spending if it doesn't work for them. The sponsorship model that Jason and that Gruber, et cetera, can use works for sole proprietorship sites, but I think is really tough to scale to you know a publication Absolutely. kind of website. And so advertisers are going to want to keep advertising. I think that, uh, that we're not realizing how precarious a situation we're in, in that sites are going to have two options, as will advertisers. They can either stop publishing if too many people block their ads, or the advertisers will have to get more crafty. So I think we're in a, a careful what you wish for, because we're either going to lose sites we love, or we're going to get much crappier ads. We're going to get ads that are, you know, infotainment, um, and BuzzFeed's going to seem like the tip of the iceberg. Like if they're going to do anything they can to get an advertising message in front of you. And if that means that literally the second paragraph of an article is going to be like, by the way, before we tell you more about that guy who um, is running for president, we'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Harry's. Like that's going to be a problem. And people are going to hate that even more, I think. Um, so I, I'm not blocking ads because I want the sites that I f- frequent to keep being sites that I can frequent. All right, that's a great topic, Lex. I have one more thing to add to it, though, which is that this episode of Blockwise <laughs> is brought to you by Casper. This is a fine ad that I recommend everybody to follow Aline's <laughs> suggestions here and and listen to what I have to say. And remember, just a moment ago, Lex said that he sleeps at night um, because of this. Uh, I sleep at night on a Casper mattress. It's true. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses. You've heard about them before, probably by listening to podcast ads because you're a good person. You can get a Casper mattress for a fraction of the price that you'll find mattresses in stores. I hate going to the mattress store. You lay down for one minute and you're like, I don't know what this tells me about laying on this thing for eight hours. You you lay on another one. You're like, this one is squishier, I guess. It's very frustrating. The mattress industry uh, forces you into paying high prices. Uh, they, They confuse you. Casper changes the game. They're like the internet revitalization of the mattress industry. They're changing how things work. You buy it online. It ships to you in a box. You open the box and it kind of goes and expands to fill the space. And the mattress itself is incredibly comfortable. It's a hybrid mattress combining latex foam and memory foam together. Feels really great. My old bed, when I sat down on it, I just took a trip. The the hotel beds we sat on were were like our old bed mattress. You sit on one side and the person on the other side kind of gets ejected because it's like you're sitting on a trampoline. doesn't happen on the Casper. They say just the right sink, just the right bounce. Well-crafted, whoever wrote that phrase, because that's pretty much it. It is a super comfortable mattress. I, I, uh, I have been sleeping on one since late last year. Really nice. Now, let's talk about the cost. Usually mattresses often cost well over $1,500. Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin, $750 for full, $850 for queen, $950 for king. And they're all made in the USA. USA, USA. Now, Casper understands buying a mattress online can make you a little bit scared. What if I don't like it? What happens then? That part is covered too. There's free delivery and returns within 100 days of use. So you can try it out and after a month say, oh, it's not working for me and send it back. 
That's right. It's much better than lying on that bed in the showroom for four minutes and going, is it squishy? I don't know. So I encourage you to try out Casper mattresses. And now I'm going to give you a special offer. Thank you for listening to the rest of this ad, by the way. You are following Aline's example. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Listeners of the show can get $50 toward any mattress that you buy at Casper. Go to casper.com slash clockwise. Use the code clockwise. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting Clockwise and all of Relay FM. It's time for my topic. I uh, I recently got back from a car trip. Uh, my family and I drove all the way to Seattle and back, uh, about 2,000 miles. I used Apple Maps and iOS 9 the entire way, and it was actually a pretty good experience. I noticed a few new features. The map data was perfectly fine. I've heard from people who say, I can't believe you used Apple Maps, and I, I why wouldn't you use Google Maps? The answer is Google Maps doesn't work very well on iOS 9 right now. <laughs> um, and uh, why don't you use Waze? Some people love Waze. I don't really love it. I was curious just to ask the panel, do you use a navigation app regularly? And if so, which one? And if you have any anecdotes about good or bad map experiences, that might be uh, fun to hear as well. Aline, tell me about your mapping experiences. Um, on the rare occasion that I actually use something, it is Apple Maps. Um, when Apple Maps first came out, it had a bad reputation. And for me, it lived up to that poor reputation. Um like we'd be driving on the freeway. So I live way down south in Phoenix and we'd be further north um, on the freeway system where we're not quite as familiar. And so we'd have that on just as a safety net and it would like have us exit the freeway and then like do a circle around the block <laughs> and then get back on the freeway. It was bizarre. It's much improved now. And especially for walking directions, I've been to Portland and San Francisco and used a lot of walking directions um, in the last, well, since May. And it's been really, really solid for me. And it's nice with the Apple Watch too, how you know, you've got the the taptic feedback to to help you know when, you're, when you've got a turn coming up and that kind of thing. Um, Google Maps kind of creeps me out um, because, you know, like my best friend uses Google Maps on her iPhone and um, she's got two kids and she'd take them to the summer movies and Google um, once a week at summer movie time, you know, Google would say, oh, it's time for you to go to work. And it's just it's super creepy to me. And so I do not use Google Maps. I use Apple Maps and um, it's 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 much improved and I haven't had any issues with it in probably a year. Yeah, I, I bounced over to Google Maps for a little while right after Apple Maps came out because it did have a lot of problems. But I found myself using Apple Maps more and more in recent years. Um, as Aline said, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, also, in part, I think just the high level of integration with iOS makes it me more likely to use it because if I use Siri to get directions or if I want to get the the taptic feedback on the watch, I have to use Apple Maps. It doesn't really work with Google Maps. So uh, I found myself using it more and more, and I and I think it's improved a lot, and I really don't have a lot of problems with it. Um, although the weirdest example I do have was I was driving someone home. I picked up a, a family member, I think, at the uh, airport, and I was driving downtown to meet to meet uh, another family member for dinner, and I was driving on this road that I knew really well. It's like, all right, it tells me, tells me to take a left here. Fine, I'll take a left. And it's telling me to take another left. All right, take another left. It's telling me to take another left. Okay, I just did a circle, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, Style points, was, Dan. Style yeah, points. Yeah, exactly, which is great in rush hour Boston traffic. Why did I just spend 10 minutes going around this block? Um, so 
None of them are particularly foolproof. I think that I actually much prefer, I mean, I don't use it that much because I generally am going to places where I know where I'm going. Um, but on the few examples, I was just on a, a less smaller car trip than Jason, but I drove about a thousand miles this week. Um, and I don't think I, I think I used a navigation for one of it. I think my cousin was in the car with me and used Google Maps for navigation and it sent us on a really weird route. <laughs> and I was like, why are we going this way? And she's like, that's where the maps told us to go. It said it was four minutes faster. Uh, I don't think it was. So, you know, uh, most of the mapping programs are pretty good these days. I think Apple, Apple Maps is pretty solid and I like all the features that it lets me use. What? I use Google Maps. Um, <gasps> I always use a GPS. I would literally be lost without navigation apps. Um, I'm terrible at direct and GPS has dramatically improved my life. My car has built-in navigation that I never use because I prefer Google Maps to it. Um, I even use it when I don't need it, which is rare because I almost always need it. But like I've gone to the airport and back so many times, I can do that drive without any help. But I still turn on Google Maps because its traffic information is so good. And normally I want to take exit 123 off the New Jersey Turnpike. But every once in a while, there's some kind of crazy accident or traffic situation. It's like, you know what? You're going to save 22 minutes if you go straight and take exit 124 instead. And I would never know that. Um, so I, I'm a big fan. Uh, Dan knows well my affection for Siri, and he rightly pointed out that Apple Maps integrates beautifully with Siri in ways that Google Maps can't, except it can. So when I want to get navigation from Google Maps, I tell Siri, give me directions to insert address here via transit. And when you say via transit at the end of your instruction to Siri, it's like, Oh, you must want to use one of the apps that does. I, mean, I haven't used iOS 9, so maybe this won't work anymore. Yeah, that probably yeah, won't work in yeah. iOS 9. <laughs> but for you iOS 8 stalwarts like me, um, it'll prompt you to open up your navigation app. I have tried Waze. I have Waze installed on my phone right now. Um, it's once given me bad directions to a road that was closed, that Google Maps knew was closed, and I thought they used the same data, so I don't understand. Uh, but Waze is doing all kinds of things that I have no understanding of what's happening. I'm earning points, and I can see other little Waze icons, and if that's <laughs> other Waze drivers, I don't know why I'm supposed to care. Uh, I don't actually appreciate that it shows police cars. I think you shouldn't know where the police are waiting. They're there for a reason, so there. Uh, but I love navigation apps. Uh, Apple Maps really has to work very hard to earn my trust back. Jason's post actually on six colors got me excited because he was saying that maps did move to route him around some traffic, but Google's constantly doing that. And it's always saying like, this is one minute slower and this is two minutes faster. And I love that stuff. Uh, I don't know why it tells me which ways are slower, but I love when it tells me which ways are faster and I often take advantage. So big fan, big fan. All right. Thank you for that. Aline, what is your topic? So we all know about the headlighting iOS 9 features, um, especially multitasking is the one I hear about a lot. Um, but one of the big things that I haven't heard talked about as much since DubDub is that we've been assured that this update is going to include enhancements to current iOS functionality. And so I was wondering if there are any pain points or um, that you've, you're experiencing that you'd like to see allevi- alleviated or any improvements that you're hoping to see. Oh, man, improvements. So many improvements. Um, I have kind of been detailing. As, you know, I'll take a play from uh, Jason's playbook and, and plug. Uh, I have a re- recurring wish list feature on Six Colors, which talks about things that I'd like to see. And so far, I feel like I've come across a couple that iOS 9 seems to be moving in the direction of, but I feel like there are a lot of things left for them to do. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a good example. I, I feel like in particular, I've complained a bit about the music app recently. I really dislike the search in, in iOS 8 because I have a lot of tra- 
tracks that end up with collisions because they have like the same word in them or the same title or something like that. And it only shows you the the top three hits, even if there's no other hits for something else. So you have like top three hits and then a bunch of blank screen. It's like, why do I have all this blank space? Um, so I, I think there are a lot of sort of core functionality things, but they're they're addressing some of these things. I really particularly like the text selection stuff that they've done in iOS 9. I think will make a big improvement. I think the uh, addition of the uh, like quick shortcut thing on iPad will be really nice. I would, and I addressed this a couple weeks ago, but I would really like to see some improvements to autocorrect because I feel like the autocorrect has gotten increasingly unreliable for me and continuously seems to suggest things that are not words when I type the legitimate words. <laughs> Um, so maybe maybe that's a problem with me, and Apple can't fix that, though I wish they'd try. Um, <laughs> but if there is a problem with autocorrect, I'd like to see some, some fine-tuning, because it used to be autocorrect was super useful and was always at the top of its game, but I feel like it's fallen down a lot in recent years, and, and I don't know why. So that's, that's one core feature I'd like to see them really address. Um, I haven't used iOS 9 at all. I've, this is the first iOS beta release I've set out in a long time, but I'm just waiting. I don't know. I'm, I'm old and decrepit now. But... The biggest issues I'm having with iOS 8 today are two. The first is I use Siri a lot, especially uh, the dictation features of Siri and of standalone dictation. And it used to be that it would underline words in blue that it was like, maybe I misheard this and I have another suggestion. You would tap on those words and you could pick the correction if it was right. But more recently, if I dictate a whole lot of text to my iPhone at one time, and it's happening on my iPad too, it'll underline a whole bunch of sections, but tapping on them just doesn't reveal a suggestion. Like something has gone wrong with the uh, transcription correction suggesting mechanism. And uh, it makes dictation really uh, crappy to use. So I don't like that. And I'm also, I just want to stop um, having to force quit apps. Uh, not, not the thing that people do in the multitasking bar when misinformed geniuses tell them to, but just every once in a while, mail will stop responding. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about third party apps. I'm talking about Apple's apps and I have to force quit it. And then after you force quit it, and you launch it again, like the app won't launch or it launches and it's an invisible shell of an app and I have to force quit it a second time. And that feels like system seven, like force quitting apps to make them work. And I don't want to do that on my expensive, fancy looking, shiny smartphone. So I just want apps to work, not need to be force quit and for transcription to correct itself better. I already mentioned uh, the, the mass improvements and they are, they are many and I, I like them. But I'll say uh, at one point on this trip, I uh, ended up with a low battery and I got a warning from Apple that said from my iPhone that said, hey, I'm running out of battery. Would you like me to go into low battery mode? And uh, I said, Ooh. yes. And it did a fantastic job or it was lying to me but basically it was like you're at 10 percent. would you like me to do go into power save because i said why yes i would and then i used it for i proceeded to use it for like another hour and uh it was still at 10 percent. so uh i th- i'm and also apple says that generally the battery life will be better in ios 9 in addition to having the emergency battery saving setting um looking forward to that at beta it's still they're still working out all the kinks and buggy things can drain your battery which is i think what happened to me but having this mode where it's like all right all the background stuff shut down just we we need to eke out power um it worked great the one time i've tried it um i'm looking forward to that i think that'll make a lot of people's lives better yeah i um i have like a list of of niggles you know little things that add up to me being annoyed um that the force quitting mail is a big thing for me i also can't i'll i'll tap on an unread message and i'll just get a spinner and spinner and forever like I and I'll force quit mail and I'll try to load that message and it still spins. I get springboard crashes like two or three times a week. I'd like to see those go away. Um, third party keyboard integration isn't great. Um, I, I have to force quit apps a lot because 
a keyboard won't come up at all. Um, yeah, that, so, that's a really good one. Yeah, third-party keyboards are like unusable right now. Right, and and it's especially nice when it's Spotlight because I mm-hmm. I have a lot of apps and folders, so I rely on pull down, tap in a name in Spotlight to launch apps. Um, you know, several times a day, and sometimes I don't have a keyboard there, and I just I'm like. Okay, cool. Um, and, um, you know, so there, there are those types of things. Um, but the big thing that I'd really like to see um, is a, a night mode that's actually a blue blocker. Um, yes. Be- yes, because more and more research is showing that if you stare at electronic devices at night, it negatively impacts your sleep. Um, and that's because of blue light waves signaling your brain that it's daytime. And um, I know a lot of people who have jailbroken iPhones just so they can have flux on it to, to be a blue blocker at night. Um, and so I've actually filed a radar um, and I, I posted on the developer forums like this, this thing about it. Um, but that's the thing I would really like to see because right now what I do, I wear amber tinted goggles at night. And um, I have accessibility turned on, so I triple t- triple tap my home button and tap zoom, and that dims the screen even further than the slider will. So I've got like low light plus amber goggles, but I would really like to not look like a dork at night with amber <laughs> goggles on. Well, that's a great topic. That was all four of our tech topics. We have just enough time for a bonus question. Today I will ask you, what is your favorite condiment? Lex Friedman. Honey mustard, no question. Jason Snell. I used to say honey mustard, but I switched it up to the, I like the beaver sweet hot mustard. Okay. Aline Sims. Does salsa count as a condiment sure. or is it its own food group? Okay. Salsa. Uh, and I will say barbecue <laughs> sauce, like really good sweet barbecue sauce. Oh, that's good too, Dan. That's a good pick. Good pick. Thank you. This is not a draft, but that was still not a, a dra- good yeah. Woo! Condiment draft. Yeah. Got out of there with barbecue sauce. Well... That is all the time we have for today. Lex Friedman, co-host of The Rebound Podcast with myself and John Moltz. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And Aline Sims, uh, host of Less Than or Equal, a podcast people should check out. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Dan, that's it. The number 99 is in the books. Next week won't be interesting at all. There won't be no, anything special to go on. It's just another episode. The, uh, the clock keeps on ticking, right, Jason? It does. It just keeps going around and around. And that's why we like to say, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.